Hello and welcome to this End of Life episode 30. I'm Jessica Duffin and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. So today is the last day of our Endometriosis Awareness Week special um, and this episode is all about mindfulness for pain with Kate McGoey. But before I get started, I want to thank my sponsors. My first sponsor of today is BU Period Patches. On my period, I like nothing more than having an easy day, putting on my period pack. I told you about that before. It's my magnesium spray, BU period patches, um, moon belly balm, and taking a magnesium tablet. And I love to have a magnesium bath if I've got time and snuggle up, ideally watching Netflix. Um, so I find the smell super comforting and calming, like the patches. I really love menthol, but I also love eucalyptus. I've, I'm pretty sure that eucalyptus is used for kind of like calming the nerves and the senses. And I've really found that to be the case in the past. So I just, yeah, when I'm in that kind of, I just want to relax and get comfortable mood the the combination of the menthol and eucalyptus is just yeah super calming um and helps me to relax and the patches have a like a really comforting like warm and tingling sensation might be a bit odd at first but i yeah i really like it now um they come in packs of five so they should last for the majority of your um period and you can subscribe so you can get them every month they're $6.99 for a pack if you just buy them um, as a one-off, or $4.99 if you go and, and buy if you sign up for the subscription. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes and start soothing period cramps a natural way. This episode is also sponsored by Know Your the Know Your Endo course, the Endo Toolkit. This online course was founded by Jessica Manan. Um, you might remember that Jess was a previous guest of the podcast and she is such an amazing advocate and source of information and inspiration for the endometriosis community. Alongside experts, Jess is teaching the tools and techniques that have helped her to feel 80% better with endometriosis in her five-week online program. And this year she's added new interviews with specialists and specialists and experts a new cooking demo video, a new movement video, and a video all about natural skincare. This course is about equipping you with the tools, techniques, and information to help you feel 20%, 30%, 50% better with endometriosis. And I'm personally living proof that you can feel better with endometriosis. I know some of the management options don't work for everyone, um, but you know, even if it was 5%, 10% better, that would be amazing progress. Um, enrollment opens March the 11th to the 17th and that's for the early bird pricing and then March the 18th to the 24th for the regular pricing and you can get $15 off um, just for listening to this podcast um, and you get $15 off with the early bird and the standard pricing with the code Jessica that's in all capitals just head to knowyourendo.com forward slash program that's p-r-o-g-r-a-m um so that's the yeah american spelling not the english spelling and add your code at checkout in today's episode of this end of life podcast i'm talking to the wonderful kate mcgoey of the balance blueprint i met kate at one of my first day retreats and was struck by her positive experience of mindfulness for chronic pain and her pursuit to help others with endometriosis experience the same benefits i've really never forgotten meeting kate and her face when she talked about mindfulness and I just remember thinking I need to talk to this girl one day like she needs to come on the podcast and yeah here she is so Kate has endured seven surgeries extreme pain and other endometriosis symptoms but several years ago she began working with a nutritionist to manage her pain levels and that eventually led her to discover mindfulness for pain which she now teaches through free guides online courses and one-to-one support Kate takes us through how chronic pain conditions affect our mental health emotions and quality for life and why changing our experience of and our relationship to pain is so important and how we can learn to live more positively with endometriosis. Kate is such a calming and soothing presence with really a wealth of information. Um, you can really hear how much she believes in mindfulness for pain and how much it's changed her life. 
it was really a complete honor to have her on the show. She's a really genuine, warm, lovely person. And yeah, it was such a pleasure to talk to her. So I really hope you enjoy it. So Kate, as I'm sure you know, I really like to start with um, everyone's personal journeys with endometriosis. So would you mind sharing your story? Yeah, of course. I think, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess everybody's got one and it's it's so... Um, it's so interesting to hear the differences and then so sad to hear the similarities, I suppose. Um, I was diagnosed when I was 20 and I had a relatively quick diagnosis, not because of anything that my my GP did necessarily, but a friend read about endometriosis in a magazine and said, I think you might have this. Um, so I took it to my GP who said, well, you'll need an operation, which I obviously had. And I remember so clearly the surgeon afterwards he didn't sit down. In fact, he barely came into the room to tell me, oh, you've got this disease called endometriosis. You'll need a hysterectomy or to have a baby really quickly or something. I don't know why this still shocks me to this day when I hear this, but it does. It's just awful. And, you know, at the time I was 20 and I thought, well, I'm not doing any of those. Um, And really didn't appreciate quite what that diagnosis meant. Um, and as I was being driven sort of away from the hospital, they rang to say, oh, and by the way, your appendix is stuck to the side of your, the inside of your abdominal wall. So you'll need to have that out. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think like so many of us maybe went in or began that journey with a degree of kind of naivety and just not very much understanding at all. Um in the time since, I've had seven surgeries. So one of which was to remove my appendix. Wow. How many years has that been then? Seven surgeries in? Um, what's that, 18 years? Gosh, that's a lot. It, it is a lot. And I, you know, I'm definitely not a huge advocate of, of having that many surgeries. Um, but I think, you know, certainly when I was first diagnosed, there was no social media. So it's very difficult to get any kind of sense of support or um, I tried really hard to educate myself. Um, but it was, it was, it, difficult. Now there's so much support. It's wonderful and really has helped me so much. Um, And I did try lots of alternative ways of managing it, but I think I was very isolated and alone. Um, And it, you know, it has a huge impact. You'll know, everyone listening to this will know such a huge impact on your life and your relationships and your work. And it took me a really long time to learn to kind of validate my own experience. Um, And that this was not something I was making up and just that I could find other ways of, of managing um, my life in relation to this, this condition. Um, so I, I tried lots of different things, lots of different diets, all sorts of sort of treatments, but it wasn't until only a few years ago, really, a gastroenterologist suggested I begin working with a nutritionist. And you know, like I said, I tried different diets, but I thought this time I'm going to get support from someone and I'm going to really, really make it work. And I worked with um, an amazing nutritionist called Anna Marsh, who she treats kind of the whole woman as opposed to just looking at your relationship with food and what you're putting into your body. And it was a real turning point for me. Um, I, I think I learned to start to kind of nourish my body and not numb it, which yeah, is such, such a difference, such a difference. And just this, I sort of began to realize I needed to forgive my body, I suppose, and stop treating it like this enemy. And I think it's so common for those of us who live in pain to develop a really deep sense of disconnection with, which, you know, it doesn't sound like a huge issue, but it, it masks such a critical problem, I think, and such a, a vital skill about kind of listening to your body and learning to kind of calibrate different feelings. Um, so that was a huge turning point for me. And I began to practice yoga in a much more serious way then. Um, and I began to meditate much more seriously then as well, specifically for anxiety at that time. Um, and it, yeah, it wasn't until a little bit later that I, I then went to um, a pain clinic. I'd been to a number of pain clinics over the years um, and, you know, tr- had a number of different kind of drug treatments and all sorts of things. And I was lucky enough to see an amazing pain therapist called Natasha Curran, who 
for the first time, I think, really explained to me what it means for your brain to live this way. Um, and it was just re- like really, really a, a revelation for me. And she recommended mindfulness-based pain management. Um, and I went on a course, which was, again, just it really shifted things for me. And I've since trained um, to, to deliver that program. Um, but I think, you know, so often we're told we're going to have to learn to live with the pain. Um, and I think for me, some of my my really darkest days have been hearing that um, and, and feeling so abandoned and so kind of hopeless and helpless. But what we're never, we're never taught how to do that. Um, it's so interesting we're, and we can live with it. We can live well with it. And I know that's what you're very much about. And there's so many great resources out there, but I just think from a, a medical perspective, we're so rarely taught that it's possible. We're just sort of told to get on with it. And for me, that was the beginning of actually learning how to do that. Absolutely. And I think that stems like throughout society in so many um, really kind of like essential human areas. Like, you know, um, Chris and I have recently been through a, a grief and a bereavement and no one actually teaches you like how to grieve or how to talk about like death or illness um and so there's there's really like essential basics that we're just like not taught and we're expected to know how to deal with or fumble our way through like living with chronic pain like bereavement even you know talking about sex or actually understanding how to have a healthy relationship Absolutely. I think there's just this assumption um, and, you know, so much is taken for granted that that there is this understanding. And like you say, just sex or the way our bodies work. I'm always amazed at like how little I know about my body. And it's this (laughs) incredible thing that's doing amazing things all the time that we just we just don't think about or we take for granted in so many ways it's it is amazing and I also I want to touch upon um what you were saying that you, you went to this so you you went to a pain clinic um firstly was that on the NHS or was that private or was this when you were in Joburg um this was actually she was through um private medical okay. um but the, I think you can I mean you can definitely go to pain clinics on the NHS and I I'm I think she does practice on the NHS as well. She also runs meditation retreats, actually. Um, she's she's on Twitter, um, if anyone wants to look her up. Okay, I'll add, if you can send me that, I'll, I'll um, add her to add her to the show notes. <laughs> I'll add her Twitter handle to the show notes. Um, and maybe just to be mindful of her time, if you do want to contact her for... Um, you know, the retreats and stuff, I would just follow her, whatever instructions she puts on her website. So if she, if you, if there's a form or an email for people to do that rather than bombard her with tweets, I don't want to be responsible for someone having like hundreds of tweets. Um, so yeah, so back, back to that pain clinic, um, you were saying that you learn the impact of pain on the brain. And I think I'm right in thinking that you were at the, um, Endo Research Now event, uh, we were both there. And were you in the um, lecture room when there was a researcher talking about the actual ne- neurological impact of pain on the brain and how it shrinks certain parts of the brain? Um, were you in that session? Yeah, it was fascinating. I can't I can't remember it all because um, obviously I was like live tweeting and filming for Endo, Endometriosis UK, so I couldn't take everything in. But can do you remember what what those changes were? Yeah, so what she was talking about was the difference um, in the s- structure of the brain and I think the flexibility of the brain, um, which is really interesting because I, I actually didn't know, I wasn't really aware of that. Um, and I, I did ask her because I think in a in a room full of people who potentially are going to catastrophize anything, you know, medical, having a long history of chronic conditions, what's the long term impact of that? And I think it's um, really interesting. And she she sort of said that they're not sure yet, but that it's maybe not something that could be reversed, which is so interesting. So different parts of the brain will um, 
will be overextended or overused. And there is no primary cortex for pain in the brain. So you've got a primary cortex for um, hearing. So you've got a primary audio cortex, things like that, but not for pain. So it'll be felt in multiple areas around the brain. Um, right, okay. Which is really interesting. So the impact, I guess, then is much broader. Um, yeah, fascinating. And am I, am I right in thinking that she was saying it affected our responses to certain events? So maybe we were more likely to experience like anxiety in a heightened way and stress um, because of the way it, cha- it had changed the brain. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, they did a lot of tests where they put people who have chronic pain um, into kind of uh, brain scanning machines and um, introduced various stimuli, it's kind of painful stimuli, which sounds just awful. Um, yeah. And they could see that people who, who have this experience of chronic pain do react very differently to other people and their stress and anxiety is heightened. And I think that's, uh, our minds are so amazing. Our brains are so amazing. But we attach emotion to physical sensation and the meaning that we attach to those sensations kind of feeds it and expands on it. Um, and studies show that anxiety and stress can exacerbate physical pain, but the reverse is also true, um, which is really, really interesting. Um, and I, I think it's it's actually of more than just academic interest because what it, I think what it starts to show us is a bit of a path out of some of that suffering in a way, because if we can use our minds to ease emotional suffering, then we can start to maybe... Um, temper our control temper a bit of control over it mm. uh, which I think is, is fascinating and you know it's really interesting that they don't know the long-term effects yet because um have you read um ask me about my uterus by Abby Norman no okay so um it's kind of her story of self-diagnosis and working out you know being believed by doctors um and it ends on a kind of a cliffhanger I really actually want to contact her and ask her like did you help get an answer but um she's an incredibly intelligent woman um she's a writer um and amongst other things and um she kind of starts losing her vocabulary and um forgetting things and just her cognitive function is really going downhill and she's never experienced that and they scanned after much like pushing they scanned her brain and they saw that some of her like neuro pathways were dying off but they didn't know why and I really resonated with the way she described her cognitive like symptoms because I've noticed like a decline in my cognitive abilities over the past couple of years um and really it's like one of the key sources that like key sources I don't know why I said that key reasons why I left um employment and um I actually chased down the researcher at the end of that talk and I was like, I read this book and that's exactly what I'm experiencing. We both have endo. Like, do you think that there's some kind of damage going on there that's affecting these cognitive abilities? She, she couldn't, I, she didn't really um, answer. She couldn't, she couldn't really answer. She was in a bit of a rush. But I wonder, you know, if it's, because I'm not in pain on a daily basis anymore. So I wonder like why I'm still experiencing that level. Like I put it down to the endo brain fog and the endo chronic, you know, the chronic fatigue. Yeah. Which it could just be that it really could just be that. But the fact that Abby Norman's had this brain scan, I'm like, Oh, what, what else is going on? Could be completely unrelated. But, um, if we know that it changes the brain and we don't know what the long-term impact is of that, I just, I do wonder. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And I think I, um, I also struggle with memory. Um, my husband despairs. I mean, you know, they're kind of holidays. I don't remember. <laughs> That's not funny. Um, I'm just laughing because I'm there with you. Yeah, no, I know. Um, and I, I read something around um, kind of long-term opiate if you take opiates for a very long time, that can impact cognitive function and memory. And so for me, I was like, oh, maybe that's it. Because I used to take a huge number of opiates, um, you know, years ago to manage my pain. Um, but 
at, at that Endo Now conference when she was talking about that, I also thought, I wonder if there's something in that because I do notice my cognitive function going up and down and there's no, I don't take any um, medication now um, that it could be a side effect of. So it, it's fascinating. I think, I mean, I, I hope in the next 10 years, there's just so much more known about this and that women are better better equipped, I suppose, to understand exactly what's happening and the full effect of this condition. Yeah, completely. Because so much of it is a mystery and we can't get inside our bodies to see what's going on. And I think the pain is obviously one thing, but the cognitive impairment is, you know, is, is huge. Um, and actually, while whilst we're talking about this, so anyone who might be recognizing these symptoms in themselves um I've been using lion's mane powder um sounds like I'm like injecting it I'm not I've been taking lion's mane powder um in like smoothies and my breakfast and stuff and lion's mane powder is a mushroom um I've written about this um in my columns and on Instagram um but there's lots of research now into the benefits of um, various mushrooms. They're fascinating. And um, lion's mane is now being used in um, research on Alzheimer's patients. And they're finding that it's actually regrowing damaged um, neuropathways. So um, I hope I've said that right. Re- like repairing neurons and things. So um, it's I've been taken it and it's like been shown to help with cognitive function memory focus and I've been taking it for six months and the difference is so obvious to me um it's it's really incredible it's been really really helping me it's actually changed my ability to get through the day and how I work um so much so that my boyfriend started taking it um and he's like noticed a difference pretty much like almost like immediately as always, these things don't all work for everyone. I mean, maybe Lion's Mane does, but I don't like to, you know, say everything's going to fix people. So um, if you're interested, it could be worth researching um, because it's definitely helped me with my symptoms. I've been drinking the Four Sigmatic. Oh, really? Um, so there's a Lion's Mane one and then there's a Chaga one. Yes. Um, as well and I take uh ashwagandha which is um I think it's also a fungus yeah I take that too (laughs) it's an adaptogen which is meant to support your adrenals as well and I I find that helps me also feel just a bit clearer Mm. mentally it's really fascinating isn't it yeah the like there's such a difference with the clarity I I haven't take I I did try the four sigmatic ones but um I just didn't I don't know like I wasn't so keen on the taste but I know loads of people who love them so you can just you know you can have Full Sigmatic is a really good company um and if you want to learn more about um mushrooms as well they have a free like course and they have like YouTube to talk like YouTube talks about different mushrooms so yeah super interesting okay so I was going to ask you this later but because we're kind of on the subject I think um we might actually have already covered this, but um, why do you feel that changing our experience of pain through things like mindfulness, which we'll get to um, shortly, is so important to managing a pain condition? You know, we get we get told you have to learn to live with it, but we're not really given any skills. So, yeah, I just like I just like to know your opinion on that. Yeah, so I think I mean with chronic pain. <laughs> So so often we are sort of um, not maybe abandons too strong a word, but but kind of Western medicine really struggles, or maybe there's a point after which there's nothing left for them to offer us, you know, more surgery or more drugs. And I think that means we've got to find really kind of imaginative and creative ways to change how we are in relationship to that pain. Um, and pain can't be entirely controlled, but I think it can be lived with differently. Um, if we learn to bring it into kind of at least momentary balance and, and integrate that with a, you know, a larger strategy for living in a healthier way. So incorporating other things like diet and um, stress reduction, et cetera. But mindfulness um, specifically, you know, mindfulness is just being aware. It's it's noticing, 
paying attention to thoughts and feelings and everything else. And um, it's what it allows us to do is develop a new kind of agency or control in our lives. Um, and it, it isn't, it's not a mental trick. It's not something that is um, at odds with our kind of normal life. It's just a case of kind of focusing on the present um, and learning to kind of anchor yourself in that present moment using the breath potentially as a, as a focus. Um, what we what we have are two kinds of suffering with pain. So we have our primary suffering, which is all the kind of raw data that comes to our, our brains. Um, so that feeling of pain, kind of put your hand in a flame, that immediate sense of pain, that's your primary suffering. We also have around that is what's called secondary suffering. And that's all the anxiety, all the stress, all the, oh, I'm in so much pain, the fear, everything that comes with it. Um, and while we can't we can't necessarily control the primary pain, we can learn to kind of navigate a path away from the secondary suffering. And that's really important. And mindfulness meditation can really work as a tool to help us navigate that path, I think, between the two. Um, so it, it, I think it's, it's really important to understand that, you know, suffering and pain is real. It's absolutely real. You do feel it and it exists and it can be overwhelming. But once you understand some of the mechanisms of it, you can begin to temper the, the power and the control, the hold that it has over you. Secondary suffering, basically. So we, we can't necessarily control the primary suffering. We might be able to manage that through you know, and an anti-inflammatory diet, et cetera, if that works for us or pain medication, but it's the secondary suffering, suffering, which is the way that we are processing and kind of like mentally experiencing the pain that mindfulness would actually impact. That Yeah, that's absolutely right. So if you think about our, our when our brains are, our brains are primarily in something called doing mode and, and that's where they're kind of problem-solving machines. Um, they're absolutely amazing. They, they zoom in on a problem, whatever that problem might be. So it might be pain. And they'll examine it kind of from every angle, turn it over, try and resolve it. And with acute pain, that's really helpful because, you know, hand in the flame and you move your hand because the brain's figured out that that's what you need to do. But with chronic pain, that doing mode can be slightly less helpful because the brain will go over it and over it and over and try and find a way to solve the problem. But they may they may not necessarily be one. It's not as simple as taking your hand out of the fire. Mm. So what this what mindfulness meditation helps us to do is to kind of step out of that doing mode um, and enter what's called more of a being mode. Um, and it's when we're in this being mode that we're able to, to start to see th the difference between the two. Um, so we're able to kind of notice our feelings. We're able to be more present. And that means being free of the past and the future. So if you think about all the anxiety and the fear that you have at the thought of your next period, let's say, if that's your particularly painful time or if ovulation is where you struggle the most um, or just at the beginning of a flare up, all that kind of anxiety and fear and the anticipation because you know how bad it was last time and you're already worrying about how bad it's going to be the next time. Um, all of that can really exacerbate the pain, as we were saying earlier, makes us much more sensitive to pain. It increases the stress, the suffering. It's almost like we're carrying around this little oxygen tank that feeds then our primary pain and makes it worse. Um, and so if we can begin to kind of control to a certain extent that secondary suffering, it really can reduce our overall suffering enormously. So you obviously you got into mindfulness when um you went to the pain clinic. What was the what was the impact of that for you? Um and how did that then inspire you to do what you do now? The I mean the impact was it was huge. When I went on the mindfulness based pain management course, for me the first thing was being in a room full of people with invisible chronic pain. I mean, we're so rarely in rooms full of people who understand what that's like. Um, I remember being at one of your day retreats and feeling that so powerfully. Um, you know, this is a room full of people who understand, which is 
something. So that was quite amazing. Um, but the impact for me is it's been enormous. I mean, I think it's such a powerful tool, mindfulness, and it's something that's so accessible and that we we all have um, the ability to do and we all have access to. And it's really impacted my whole life. Um, just general anxiety, something I, I struggle with anyway. Um, and that's decreased enormously stress levels, just general feelings of kind of well-being. Um, so much more of a powerful impact than I was expecting, um, which has been amazing. And having been someone who's tried so many different things over the years um, to manage my pain, this was something that completely um, blew me away with the power and the simplicity really of it, um, which is fascinating. It's and it's something that you can, you know, as I say, carry with you. I, I do it on the tube. <laughs> can you know you can practice this absolutely anywhere. And it really, what I wasn't expecting, I suppose, is it allows you to sort of see your thoughts rather than see the world through the lens of them. If that makes sense. So rather than looking through a lens of anxiety and worry and fear, you're able to sort of see those things um, and and able to see, I guess, this kind of mechanism that was driving my suffering even more and be able to sort of inject a, inject a break into that cycle of suffering that my, my brain was so programmed to do. Just a reminder that BU Period Patches are today's sponsors. BU Period Patches are sourced by nature and backed by science. They're made with zero chemicals, are 100% natural and provide period cramp relief for hours. These oils are scientifically proven to reduce muscle cramps and therefore pain. I really, really love what this company is doing. Not only are they providing alternative and natural pain relief options for people with periods, but to date, all of their profits have gone to, um, to either endo pcos or adenomyosis causes and petitions these guys really mean business and i seriously think they're paving the way for better periods an absolute pleasure to work with and you know i'm speaking with them personally on a weekly basis and they genuinely care um so yeah i just i'm really honored that these guys are sponsoring um these episodes and i highly recommend trying them they come in packs of five, so they should last for the majority of your um, period, and you can subscribe to get them every month. The six ninety nine for a one off pack, or four ninety nine if you go for the subscription. And to shop, just head to the link in my show notes and start soothing period cramps the natural way. Today's show is also supported by the Gluten Free Baking Academy. You might remember Heather Crosby from the first season. I think it was the first season. Um, she is such a wonderful woman. I absolutely adore her and I adore her recipes. I have her cookbooks. They're incredible. Um, Heather puts, I mean, I don't know, like a thousand percent into everything she does. And her recipes are just exceptional and delicious and super healthy. And the Gluten-Free Baking Academy is no exception. This is a four-week online course where you get to make bagels, buns, sourdough, um, gluten-free cinnamon rolls, all of that good stuff, um, and it's delicious. They're completely dairy, egg-free, um, gluten-free, gum-free, chemical-free. These recipes are really nourishing for your body and they're good quality recipes, they're straightforward, and they deliver beautiful gluten-free baked goods. Really, like, I feel Heather is at the, I feel like she's trailblazing for gluten-free baking, because I just think there's, for some reason, people seem to assume, like, we're so desperate for bread that we'll eat anything. Sometimes I am, but at the same time, I want to eat good food and so Heather is just a lifesaver I love baking as well so this is super fun to do in my opinion 
But um, yeah, I just think Heather is like at the forefront of gluten-free bacon. I really do. And I think it's amazing that she's cracked it. So if you're interested, head to the link in my show notes. Um, If you use that link specifically, I get a little percentage from that. And that helps me cover the cost of this show. Um, You can take the free course tour. The course is $199. Um, And it starts on the 11th of March. Enrolment is open now. So your experience then like inspired you to work with mindfulness and supporting others with chronic pain. So could you tell us a little bit about what you do now with the Balanced Blueprint? Yeah, absolutely. So I um, I then went on to do... um, a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy sort of teacher training program. Um, And what I do now is run online programs um, for women between eight and 10 weeks long um, to support them to kind of build build this um, habit of mindfulness into their lives. But kind of all the things that come around that as well in relation to pain specifically. So helping them understand things like um, the impact that physical pain has on our emotions. So we've talked about that quite a bit already, but how those two are sort of inextricably linked and how we can start to be aware of that, pay attention to it, um, as well as things like negative automatic thoughts, impact that that has on stress, and then the impact that stress has on pain and how we can kind of balance that um, using mindfulness as an approach. Um, so it's it's very much kind of um, mindfulness-based program where we go through every week a different type of mindfulness meditation um, but also a sort of deeper understanding of what it is that you're cultivating in terms of an awareness of your own body Um, and I think you know really helping women to tap into some of those internal resources that they have I mean women with endo are some of the the strongest people I know Um, We've got the strength and I think the power of participatory medicine or, you know, that willingness to um, to step into that role a bit and to be part of our own kind of healing is really powerful. So I support them to do that as well. And mindset is really crucial, I think. So there's a big mindset shift as well. If you think our kind of best thinking has gotten us to to where we are now and if that's not somewhere that we want to be, and we want to change that. We need to do the work. So it is very much about taking action, taking stock, and then taking action and, and kind of moving forward in a way, in a really sustainable way that'll hopefully set you up to um, have this long-term approach to managing your condition. Absolutely. And I think that's going to really, gosh, it's just going to change so much of the damage that doctors have, you know, unfortunately, not all doctors, but a lot of the doctors that we come into contact with can make us feel really helpless and um, just, you know, just like a helpless victim. And that's completely natural to feel when you are struck with a disease that is um, currently incurable and we are met with a shrug and there's nothing we can do for you. You're on pain meds for the rest of your life or, you know, um, there's not really many answers so I think you kind of naturally and completely understandably this is without judgment fall into this mentality of like there's nothing I can do it's always going to be this shit you know and I think having someone say actually you can take some power back it might you know you you might not be able to fully control this disease but you have some choices here and there are ways to you know make this experience less difficult I just it's kind of revolutionary because this is not what you you hear when you're in the doctor's office yeah absolutely and it's it's such a shame I mean like you say the damage that's been done to women who've heard that you know over and over again maybe in some cases from different doctors from the same doctor that in terms of thinking you're making it up, you know, that validation or invalidation really, and the grief and the anger, and there's so much around this experience, even talking about that kind of 
um, the impact on our kind of cognitive function, you know, you, you start to think you're going mad because that's not something that people talk about in relation to a disease that's typically, you know, gynecological, very much abdomen. And it's actually understanding the full impact that this condition has had. And, you know, I've experienced enormous grief and so much anger um, that I've carried around for years and years, you know, of conversations I've had or times I've been dismissed um, by specialists and really learning that we we do have the ability um, not, not to get rid of the pain, but we do have the ability to kind of, as I said, temper the control that it has over us to a certain extent. Um, there's a, a guy called John Kabat-Zinn who's written a couple of books on on mindfulness and he says um, mindfulness kind of restores certain dimensions of our being and those are dimensions that have never been missing but we've been missing them while we've been absorbed elsewhere. And certainly my personal experience is that over the years, I've definitely shut down parts of my body. I've, you know, that I've had this deep disconnect between myself and my body, and um, I think that's something that we we need to learn to restore and reconnect, um, to live fully, you know, and to live well um, as as kind of whole beings. If that sounds doesn't sound too too ridiculous. No, absolutely. I mean. I'm a big mindfulness fan, so I really resonate with what you're saying, those missing parts of yourself. Whenever I do mindfulness, even if it's not a particularly, um, even if it's a session where my brain's a bit all over the place, I kind of just feel like I'm coming home. There's just like this real grounding sense. And yeah, I can't, it's a difficult feeling to put into words unless you experience it. Um, but for me, there's nothing quite like it. So I completely, yeah, I completely hear what you're saying. So for anyone who is a bit put off by the idea of meditation, um, mindfulness isn't obviously all about meditation. So um, it would be really good to kind of overcome, talk, talk about that obstacle that people have in their minds and the expectation that they need to clear their minds. Um because I think some people think that it's not for them. They're not good at sitting still. Do, do you know what I mean? Do you hear that as a challenge that comes up for people? Definitely. Definitely. People saying like, oh, I can't empty my brain. You know, absolutely. It's such a, it is such a barrier. And I think the terms mindfulness and meditation, they're used, they're often used interchangeably. And sometimes in this like most simple forms, they do refer to the same sort of general thing, which is this idea of, bringing a sense of calm to maybe a, a frenzied kind of mind. Um, mindfulness meditation is a type of meditation, but mindfulness is is something that can be done just in our day-to-day life, walking around, sitting on the tube, whatever it might be, because it's what it is is just an awareness when we non-judgmentally pay attention to the present moment. And mindfulness meditation is not about um, emptying your brain. I, I, I'm not sure that that's possible. If you can do that, that's, that's amazing. Please teach me how, (laughs) but (laughs) I think it's very much about focusing on the present moment and we use the breath as a kind of anchor to the present moment. So while you're sitting, focusing on the breath, your mind will wonder because that's just what minds do. They wonder. And the important thing is to notice that your mind has wandered and to kind of gently bring that attention back to your breath. So not to get frustrated, not to get annoyed, not to think, oh, see, I can't do this. (laughs) But just to say, oh, yep, it's wandered. Let me bring my attention back to the breath. And if your mind wanders a hundred times in five minutes, that's fine. As long as you bring your attention back to the breath 101 times. So it's, it's, you're just trying to be non-judgmental and trying to use the breath as a as an anchor, I suppose. And what's so wonderful about that is that that's something that you always have with you. It's just always there. Um, so you can do that absolutely anywhere. And even if it takes, even if you spend three minutes doing it, the benefits are the, the benefits are fantastic. And for so I guess 
two questions really for anyone who is interested in doing your course um and interested in what you do um could you take us like through how they sign up and what to expect um from you know each week roughly um and you know any other kind of materials you have and also if some if if someone's not quite ready to do a course is there any like books or I don't know a YouTube video or something that they can kind of watch to learn or read or listen to to learn a little bit more about mindfulness just to dip their toe in before they actually take a course definitely um so if I answer the last one first um in terms of like books there's there's so much out there I guess mindfulness is having a bit of a moment I suppose um so there is a lot out there I I personally am a big fan of um John Kabat-Zinn um got a number of books on mindfulness um one called wherever you go there you are and another called full catastrophe living which is really massive um but it's it's really good um there are a lot of apps as well for people to use to try um you know headspace is a really great one um there's another free one called stop think breathe um those are just ones that i kind of have used um in my life but there are so many out there um i've got a couple of kind of beginner um just sort of um brief mindfulness meditations around sitting with your breath on my website which are obviously free as well um, so I think it's, I, I'd just say to anyone, try and put aside any preconceived ideas you have of people sitting on a mountaintop at sunrise with their hands in kind of mudra or you don't, that doesn't have to be what your mindfulness practice looks like. You can be sitting in a chair, you can be lying down, you can be sitting on your living room floor. You know, it can be whatever you need it to be. Um, to, to do just try and uh, just try it, I guess. Um, and then in terms of kind of the the program I run, anyone who's interested, um, I'm on Instagram. So either find me there or on my website. And I guess we'll link in the show notes to yes, those. Yeah. Um, and, and send me a message. I'll be launching the next kind of intake um, in April. So anyone who's interested, let me know and I can kind of stay in touch around that um and the sort of structure of the course is very much um an introduction so we're not going to jump into the deep end with kind of any kind of long meditations we start with we actually start with something called a body scan which people might be familiar with which is really just um lying down and moving through different moving your attention and your focus through different parts of your body um and what that does quite powerfully, particularly for people who live in pain, is you start to realize which parts of your body aren't in pain. Um, and I know that sounds really simplistic, but it can be quite powerful when you're used to being consumed with this idea of um, pain and suffering and feeling often a little bit broken or a little bit as if your body's let you down. So just recognizing and maybe appreciating the bits of your body that aren't in pain is quite powerful. And then we move through different meditations, nothing complicated and nothing especially long. Um, but each week there'll be a new one um, just to build up a bit of a toolkit, I suppose, so that you've got you've got a practice that you can use when you need it. Um, there's, there's one that's a, a particular favorite of mine that's a three-minute or a three-step um, practice, which is can be done really quickly before a big meeting um, or on the train or whenever you need it and just allows you to kind of ground and center. Um, we also do we also focus a lot on habits and what it means to form habits because that's such a big barrier. Everyone's so busy um, these days and finding the time to practice something like this can can be a challenge. And you know, I I, I understand that. I I, you know, I don't spend an hour and a half every morning meditating and doing yoga as much as you know I might like to. Um, it's finding ways to build this sort of practice into your your existing busy life. Um, so we do focus a lot on that as well. And crucially on identity too, because I think if you've lived in pain for a long time, it becomes 
quite intertwined with who you are. And that's there's a shift needed there, I think, as well. So we do focus on that and understanding that what what's required really is a willingness to to do this and to open up to um, a, a different way of approaching your pain. Um, so so we'll work on that a lot as well because that's something that doesn't come naturally to us. I think when faced with pain, we're typically very used to pushing it away or burying it or ignoring it because that's how we've gotten through things. Um, but actually, in my experience, pain will always find a way of getting your attention. So what I'm trying to introduce is a different approach, one of kind of more mindful acceptance of ourselves and our suffering, which requires turning towards that pain to a certain extent and accepting it, which doesn't mean giving up or giving in. In this context, acceptance means more of a pause, a kind of period of allowing that then allows us to kind of embrace life and not simply tolerate it. But that is a shift. There's a shift around that. So mindset's a crucial part, a really crucial component as well. It sounds amazing. And, you know, I, I don't get pain much, but um, I, I still really want to do the course because I think it will be so useful. I don't know if, you know, one day my pain will return like it once was. So, yeah, it's just sounds brilliant. So if you were, if you had a pain flare up, could you talk us through what you would do personally in that moment with, you know, through mindfulness? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, just this morning, um, I've, I've had a bit of a flare up actually. And I think even as someone who practices this every day and, you know, and I use the word practice because it is a practice because it's not something that you, you do 10 times and then you're an expert and, problem solved. Um, it's something that requires, you know, kind of constant coming back to. And in meditation, there's something called a beginner's mind. And, you know, I might have days where I just can't seem to kind of focus on my breath. Um, and then days where it, it's much easier and that's, that's just normal. So that's why I suppose I use that word practice. But even with a practice going back years now, I still immediately as I felt this pain this morning, kind of find myself straight away thinking, what is that? What What is that? What part of my body is that? Why is that so sore? What could it be related to? What have I done? You know, all of those things that you'll be familiar with and they happen in a second. It just happens so quickly. Um, and you'll know also from the Endo Now conference when um, that, that lady was saying, in relation to the brain, the complex nerve system and the abdomen is so complicated that it's very difficult for us to know even which part of um, our abdomen is, is causing the pain, but we still try, we still try and work it out. So this, you know, I'd gone into that immediate, like, what is it, what's causing that pain? Um, and as I say, it happens in a matter of seconds. Um, and what I'll, what I'll do in that, in that experience is set aside just 10 minutes. So all I took this morning was 10 minutes. I'll set a timer for 10 minutes and just sit down. Um, and I, I'm more comfortable kind of um, cross-legged. So I'll, I'll do that, but it doesn't have to be cross-legged. Um, and just sit in a way where my spine is self-supporting. So I'm not leaning against something and maybe more likely to fall asleep, but um, just bring awareness to something real and something solid to so the ground beneath me. For me, that's hugely helpful to just focus on being supported physically um, and something that's solid and that I can really rely on, um, as opposed to kind of maybe the rumination that's going on in my mind. And then focus on the physical sensation of, of my breath moving in and out of my body, wherever I feel that the most. It might be in my chest, it might be in my belly. It may be that it's um, particularly a strong sensation in my nostrils. And just Again, being aware of that physical sensation, it's really helpful to kind of get out of your mind and get out of that um, stressful, anxious kind of cycle that your mind might have gone into. And then just focusing on the breathing. And some days I find it useful to count my breaths if I'm feeling particularly scattered or a bit frenzied. Just kind of um, in on the inhale, a one on the inhale and a two on the exhale, going up to maybe 10 and then starting again. Um, and just focusing, if if I can, on the whole of the inhale and the whole of the exhale. And when I do find my mind wandered, so this morning I, it would still wander to kind of maybe a bit of worrying. 
I find it really useful to just almost label what that thinking process is as, okay, that was worrying. Bring the mind back to stop myself attaching to that thought too much and kind of following it down a bit of a rabbit hole. Just coming back to the breath. And after 10 minutes, my alarm will go off or the timer will go off. And just noticing that subtle shift and feeling much more connected to my body, um, much, much less caught up in the rumination fear of what this flare up could be, where it could be leading. And just much, much more grounded in my actual reality at that moment, which is I'm safe. I'm okay. Um, and, and trying to bring that to your nervous system. Because again, when we live in chronic pain, I think our nervous systems are particularly overwrought. Um, and I think that that's a whole other conversation around how we start to learn to soothe and calm our nervous systems. But this is, for me, a really powerful tool to do that. And just to remind myself, there's ground beneath me. I'm breathing. I'm safe. Um, and it, it, it really does powerfully shift your perspective thank you so much for that um so if someone just to give some people tips to go away with is that what you would suggest people do or are there any other kind of tips that people can use in the moment at home that works really really well for me and I think I'd encourage people to maybe listen to a guided um breathing exercise or a guided mindfulness meditation if you're very new to it because it's it, it is helpful just to have someone talk you through and remind you to bring your attention back to the breath and remind you that it's okay if your mind's wandered but just bring your attention back and I think that there are other ways that we can start to practice stepping outside of this doing mode of the mind that we talked about um, and and just you know if you're walking down the street paying attention to what you see. You know, it's small things like that. Um, if we think about, I don't know, um, I'm going to notice every yellow car, for example, even little things like that anchor us into the present moment much more than being so focused on where we're trying to get to and the end of our journey or whatever it might be. So there are ways that we can just be more present. It might be when you're boiling the kettle, just pay attention to the, the way that that sound changes as the kettle boils, the the bubbles, you know, what does that sound like? Are there any different smells? You know, just taking those moments maybe once a day, um, maybe when the kettle boils or when you turn the shower on or just little moments where you're stepping out of that automatic pilot that we all kind of operate in so much day to day. It can be a really powerful way just to shift your experience. Thank you so much, Kate. I think this is going to be really helpful for people. And um, of course, like all of this will be in the show notes. So if anyone wants to reach out to Kate and get some more information, then um, yeah, please, please do. And your courses up in April. Yes, that's right. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been such a pleasure to have you here and I feel like I've learned so much. Um, yeah, I've kind of done mindfulness on and off for years, but listening to it from your like from a pain perspective, I haven't done that much research on that. So it's been really fascinating. I'm sure lots of people would have learned a lot from this. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been great. Take care. Bye. Bye. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. 
really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. Thank you.